You're listening to the Women for Greatness podcast, episode 15, hosted by Serena Hess. In this episode, you get to meet my friend Carrie, who was formerly known as Crazy Carrie. She's a mental health advocate and blogger, and she's also a coach for those suffering with OCD specifically. She's been a featured panelist at mental health events in LA, and her story has been featured on the Happy Pill website and the Mighty Site blog. Carrie has a story of redemption. She shares about how the most traumatic thing in her life is now her biggest blessing. In this episode, we talk about how Carrie got vulnerable by sharing her story with strangers on the internet and what that did to connect her with others across the world. We also talk about why sharing your story matters and how if Carrie never shared hers, her life would be totally different. We also dive into how becoming a light in a dark place matters and why you need to ask yourself about the bigger picture for your life. So guys, let's jump in. Thanks for hopping on a call with me, Carrie. No, thank you for having me. (laughs) So can you tell our listeners like a short description about who you are and what you do? So I am Carrie and I am a mental health blogger and author will soon to be author, hopefully by the end of the summer. And I know so exciting. And I am a mental health coach who specializes in OCD programs and coaching. And I'm the founder of the Obsessive Outsiders, which is an online platform that includes a newsletter, a YouTube channel, a weekly blog, and all kinds of just different goodies that we're working on, which is basically a platform for anyone who struggles with OCD in particular, but I'm also branching out now into just a lot more mental health, anxiety, depression, uh, trauma, all kinds of things. And it's just that it started off with OCD because I have OCD. Mm -hmm. And so and that's just what I know best. But really what the obsessive outsiders stems from my book, which is called the obsessive outsider. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of is this metaphor in all of the people who feel like they're obsessive outsiders like I did. Basically, it's a platform that I'm starting to grow with myself as the guinea pig with my embarrassing, like kind of taboo stories. Mm -hmm. And I'm putting myself out there fully. And it's so scary at times, but I'm doing it in hopes to inspire people to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to grow the platform. And I do different features. I have something called the speak series where I have people come on and I do takeovers and all kinds of things because I want to build the platform and then kind of step back and let other people that I basically already have the platform that I'm just going to hand to them so that they just have to bring their voice. That is amazing. I'm still blown away by you. Um, Oh my gosh, stop. (laughs) So let's kind of break it down a little bit. How did you get started in the mental health world and what motivated you to really create this like mini empire that you have going on (laughs) oh my gosh stop it's not an empire but (laughs) I would love I mean that it kind of is the goal to make to take this as far as possible because Mm -hmm. and with mental health and I mean I plan on going straight to the media with this I do a lot of work with Hollywood still and just a lot of times I'm doing a lot of research with different upcoming stars and things who have anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. And it just seems to be getting worse and worse. And so 
a lot of times where the stigma begins is in the media. So I still have a lot of, because I used to work in the business and entertainment, I still have a lot of my contacts and stuff from that time. I plan on getting into contact with as soon as I feel good about the brand and the book's been published. And I plan on taking the Obsessive Outsiders and I want to take it to the Today Show and to Ellen. I mean, these are like my dreams. So Mm -hmm. But the yeah. way that I got into it was because when I was when I was about 18, I lived here in Bakersfield and I was in a car accident and we'll spare you all the details. But basically what happened is something about the onset of that trauma being the age of 18, which is usually when OCD onset, I just started acting out and started showing obsessive behaviors towards certain things. I ended up going through a couple of really rough years of therapy, not really identifying what was really wrong with me. I went off to school to Concordia University in Irvine Mm -hmm. and started seeing a new therapist there. And then finally was introduced to the institute that ultimately changed my life, which is the Gateway Institute. I walked in there and they immediately said that I needed the intensive program. And I was at that point, I was a little bit too sick to even really know what was going on. My parents handled everything and kind of caused a bit of an intervention. School was watching me very closely because I was in such a big part of the disability services. And I was very, very sick. I was not, I wasn't out of touch with reality, but in a lot of ways I was because Mm The type of theme of OCD I have is something called magical thinking. By performing certain compulsions or doing random things like touching things or checking things a certain number of times that you can like prevent things from Mm -hmm. happening. And it kind of catastrophizes in your brain so that you you really do start to kind of believe this stuff. And a lot of times it's because you have very low serotonin levels. And a lot of times that's where the medication comes in to at least help with upping the serotonin levels in your brain, because a lot of times the norepinephrine and the serotonin levels can be unbalanced and whether you've hit your head or whatever it is. And so once you can kind of get those leveled out, then you can start working on the behavioral side of OCD, which is exposure and response Mm -hmm. prevention. And that's the golden standard. And that's really just torture because you're just taking every single obsession that you have and you are exposing it and you're being monitored by a therapist and you're being prevented from performing the compulsion lowers your anxiety. So I started to, you know, just go into this institute and I had a type of OCD that was so different than the stigma. So most people did not understand that I had OCD and they thought that I was seriously disturbed (laughs) and that was maybe schizophrenic or possessed or something because I would just I'd be constantly in my head listening to a thought and then I would have to stop and step in certain places or touch something just so randomly and I of course like you know we were a bunch of 18 year olds and people started to see that and go what is wrong Mm -hmm. with this girl I just became crazy Carrie aware of how weird I appeared to because I was performing physical compulsions every couple of steps like you couldn't Mm -hmm. miss it I started to just become a real obsessive outsider my stomach would just get into so many knots the second I get an obsession which was every two or three minutes until I performed the (laughs) compulsion the knot in my stomach wouldn't go away so you know I knew people were like what is wrong with this girl I was the one living with OCD go back to my dorm room and kind of hide out but at the same time I just wanted to make sure that I was like obeying my OCD so that I didn't have that anxiety. And that a lot of times 
came at the expense of being bullied and having people say a lot of mean things to my face and also spreading different rumors around that I was schizophrenic and all kinds of things like that. And so I had this very personal experience and then went through an intensive therapy program specialized in OCD for Mm -hmm. my case. The summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I was, it wasn't like walking through a tunnel where you come out on the other side and you are better. It was three weeks of basically Mm. hell at the time, but I've never been so thankful for anything in my life because even though I did have a relapse the following year, those three weeks kind of broke my foundation of the belief in my obsessions and the power of my compulsions. And so eventually I started just kind of becoming my own therapist using the tools I had learned in Mm -hmm. the Institute. By my junior and senior year, I was living a pretty normal life. One of my favorite podcasters is James Mm -hmm. Altucher. And I was reading one of his books. And one of the things that he's talking about is like writing a book and how simple it really is if you break it down, but yet how powerful and that everyone should write a book. In mm-hmm. their life. I decided to write a book on OCD and kind of I was not even going to use myself in it. It was going to be like a, a comedic version of myself as a mm-hmm. character, basically making me making fun of myself because I knew how much I had been made fun of. And I just was going to join in on that. I started to just realize how much advice I had. And I was reading the book, I would go back through a couple months after writing certain things. And I would think, did I write that? Like, that's really incredibly mm-hmm. helpful. And so it started to turn into this self help book. And kind of this comedic, but serious, but witty memoir with self-help. And then it was just last year when I started The Obsessive Outsiders, because I was just making a website just as an author's page. Then I started the Instagram and everything has kind of taken off from there. And now I've just bitten off way more than I can (laughs) chew. (laughs) And so here we are. I never, it was never supposed to be anything but a book as a hobby and I was going to have my career in entertainment and I was going to keep going that path. God had a totally different plan for me. And for a while it was not okay with it, but now I'm so incredibly happy about it. With like creating your book and sharing your story like that, you really have to put yourself out there, your own story. So what was your process behind becoming more vulnerable and coming out with, hey, like, I struggle with this too. What was that like for you? Well, it wasn't like, hey, I struggle with this too, because I went to a small university in college. So I really was the talk of Mm -hmm. the town and and not Mm -hmm. in a good way. Personally, for me, I think it was my vengeance. Like, that's, it was my way of finally showing people like, no, actually, you're wrong. I'm not crazy. I'm mentally misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And I have a disorder that has been stigmatized through the media and through these movies so beyond different than what it appears. And yes, like perfectionism and cleanliness are themes Mm -hmm. of OCD. But OCD also has a sexual theme, a violent theme, a religious theme. There was a lot of lack of knowledge when it came to the disorder in itself. And because I had gotten to a point where I was so Mm -hmm. healthy, my case is just, it's just such a crazy story because I was so, so sick that I was one of those people that you would have met me and been like, okay, there's no coming back for this girl. But then I did and I came back like bigger Mm -hmm. and better. And for my own self, once I did that, 
I had enough confidence to be like, screw these people that tried to ruin my life and who actually did. Like I had the worst college experience. I just decided to write this book. And while I was writing it, kind of my opportunity to tell my Mm -hmm. side of the story. I brought up a lot of instances that a lot, like thousands of people will read and they were there in that college watching these things happen and they'll know now what Mm -hmm. really happened. And it kind of started there. It's also just making sure I'm being as vulnerable as possible because it's setting an example. So I I function better in chaos and in a dirty environment. That's how Mm -hmm. it used to be. And now I'm totally normal. But because of that, no one knew it was OCD because it was so far from the stigma. And so I realized how important it was that I explained Mm -hmm. that. And people, or I would say once in a while, like I have OCD, but no one would believe me because it didn't fit that norm. And so that's kind of how it started to happen. And then I realized that the more real that Mm -hmm. I get, the more like likable I would be and the more that people started to latch onto my story. And that felt so good because I was being my most authentic self. And yes, there are chapters in the book that I don't ever want my parents and my boyfriend to have to read. And unfortunately, there are certain it kind of takes my breath away when I think about the thought of having certain people read some of these. There's a chapter called The Bully Gets Mm -hmm. the Bone. And it's probably the hardest chapter that I had to write. My parents never knew I had Mm -hmm. to go through. And it's very, very difficult for my mom. She helped me do some editing a couple of years ago before I started getting into the professional side of editing. And she could barely even do it. And I, the people who were there, I realized how much they didn't Mm -hmm. know. And so yeah, it's been really tough. But also, it's it's so rewarding now, because I just feel so free. And so many people have reached out to me, who have just seen just the previous interviews and things that I've done leading up to this platform, Mm -hmm. and have been like, I'm so sorry. I'm I was one of those people been really nice, because I think I've my heart's a little piece of my heart's healed with each person that's reached out. Yeah, with sharing your story. What have people said to you who have connected with you like on social media or from real life personal experiences? Oh my gosh, it has ranged from everything from complete strangers in South Africa messaging me and saying basically that my platform and like the obsessive outsiders and the things that I say are things that they've never heard people speak up about, but that they have. There's been certain speaking engagements that I've had where I'll finish at a conference. I'll have people come up to me bawling, Mm -hmm. crying and say, I knew I had OCD, but I never knew magical thinking existed. And if you hadn't been here today and I hadn't, I would have gone the next 15 years of my life the same way because you don't, a lot of times you don't want to speak up about these kind of taboo subjects out Mm -hmm. of fear to have someone like me who's so normal and bubbly and out there and trendy going and talking about this stuff that's not Mm -hmm. pleasant. I think that it kind of has been inspiring to certain people. So that's what's really inspired me is for the people that I don't know, because those are the people that I know are truly struggling. And for me to be able to come as I am now and say, hey, like, check out these pictures of me when I was at my worst, like I'm completely unrecognizable. Not only that, but like, look how effortlessly I move in life now when I used to like have to step 
on every single crack I came across mm-hmm. or wasn't able to go in certain door frames or wasn't able to write certain sentences or letters because they meant something bad. And now look mm-hmm. at me. And I think mostly what's rewarding is parents who come up to me. The last conference I spoke to, a lot of parents came up to me with their 13-year-old daughter and or 14-year-old son and just said, my main goal is that my daughter or son can be like you someday. And like, you've given me that hope. And that's so crazy. I mean, I remember when I first met my boyfriend, his sister has a lot of problems that I have Mm -hmm. gone through. And he one time has just just cried to me and said, you know, my goal is that my sister can be like you someday. And that's when I started to, I think, realize that my story actually did something for people. That's when I started kind of getting a fire lit under me when I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter like how embarrassing what I do to my reputation by telling these stories. I really am changing lives, whether it's public information Mm -hmm. or not. And then of course, many people, I've received so much more support from people in college than I ever thought Mm -hmm. that I would. Uh, just because they they genuinely I mean, I've had people come to me crying and just saying, I'm so sorry for what I did to you. And I was the one who did this. I had tires stolen and people would do, leave things on my doorstep mm-hmm. and just do all kinds of write things all over my car. And people have come to me and I think they've just felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit to just really come to me and apologize. Mm-hmm. And I would say like, I didn't even know you were the one who did that. But thank you for telling me. It's only seven years <laughs> too late. You know, <laughs> the damage has already been done. But I've also am still working through a lot of that damage, I think. And this platform is kind of a a little bit of a poker face for me to be able to do mm-hmm. that. I think the more positive feedback it's received, and the bigger that it's gotten, I think the more worth it it's become mm-hmm. for me. What do you think would have happened if you never opened up and like shared your story? What do you think you'd be doing now if it weren't for that? I think that I would still be slaving away in LA as an assistant and I would be obsessing and getting like just getting a lot worse and relapsing because of the stress of the working in entertainment and whenever you know people in the class or something go you know please share something unique about you or something we wouldn't Mm -hmm. know about you I never in a million years thought I would you know say about OCD but now it's kind of made me a part of who I am and built a character Mm -hmm in me that's kind of made me different from other people. And because it's not the stigma of OCD that people are used to, it's it really has put this little nook on my shoulder that made me feel like, wow, like, you know what? God has given me this opportunity to take the worst thing that's ever happened to me and forget about my life, change so many other Mm -hmm. people's lives. A lot of it has been at the expense of my adolescent years and my emotional state. But at the same time, it has now I can finally it's been so many years, but eight years later, I can now say that all of that was like so Mm -hmm. worth it. And I can't imagine I mean, the number of people who do not speak up about their OCD, even to a therapist, because a lot of times, people like who have violent OCD, just to give you an idea, they might get a thought that like they might see a knife on the table or something. And just like you or I would, but they might get a thought like, what if I like maybe they're mad at their brother right then or something. And they'll get a thought like, what if I were to use that knife on my brother? Like, what if I was a murderer and had that, like, because their moral conscience is, is so strong and they, 
are fearful of something like that, but they would never do anything in a million years. But their thought and their brain gets stuck in this recycling momentum that like, maybe they're a violent Mm -hmm. person. Like, what if they could do this? And so that's how you know that it's OCD and that they are not actually violent because they're in such distress over it. But because of that sort of talk, or a lot of times postpartum depression is OCD related because, and moms, you know, don't want to go to their husbands and say like, I'm having these thoughts about our new baby, mm-hmm. you know, and, or go to a therapist because they think that a social worker will be called or that the police will come and take her child away and that sort of thing. And so many people don't speak up and realize that go to the, a proper therapist, they would know instantly that, that this you're seeking therapy because you have OCD, not because you're that person that your mind's convincing you that you might mm-hmm. be. So that's what's been really sad is the number of people who, I mean, even at these conferences, people will come up to me and they'll whisper because they don't even want the person next to them who has what they have to know that they have it. And it's so sad to me because they are living with these demons inside of them. And the longer that you kind of harbor that OCD, the darker it Mm -hmm. can become. And then you kind of, I've kind of broken open my chest of light and gotten rid of all of that. So for me, it's like so incredibly freeing. And I just want to set that example for other people to try that too. So for someone struggling with uh, a mental health, would you say issue or like mental health? How would you word? Well, a lot of times they don't know that it is a mental health issue for someone who's sad Mm -hmm. and someone who just, I just don't have the energy today, or I just don't feel like getting out of bed or going through a breakup or going through the death of someone. And a lot of times it's depression and they don't realize it. You know, depression is not, is also not just the stigma. You can have the most bubbly person in the room who gets up and gets ready every single day and has clinical Mm -hmm. depression and someone it could be someone who just is getting abnormal thoughts and that that they think that maybe other people might not be getting and they don't know if that's normal Mm -hmm. or not but they're too afraid to speak up and just this the power of just scheduling a consultation with a therapist and going in and you know and if you're too embarrassed to talk about it with family members or anything first then just like going in yourself or going, if you're under 18, going to your parents and saying, you know, I think I'd like to talk to someone and just kind of going and figuring out a lot of times you can get assessments and sort of things because you have in order to be diagnosed, you know, you have to go to a psychologist and get all kinds of Mm -hmm. testing done and speaking up about this stuff. And now with on with the online stuff that never existed when I was sick. Um, Now the amount there are 1000s of private Facebook groups for every type of mental health disorder, illness, depression, anxiety, And so now you can kind of go, I know most people, it's like they don't even seek therapy anymore because their therapy is these thousands of people around Mm -hmm. the world who they are able to connect with say, Hey, this is happening to me too. What about anyone else? And then you have hundreds of people who say, this is, uh, this is actually what Mm -hmm. I live with and it's called this. Mm -hmm. And maybe you should go get looked into and to see that those people like finally light up and recognize that, oh, like this isn't, I'm not just a bad person. I just have a mental Mm -hmm. disorder. Maybe I need to look into some medication to make my life a little bit easier and some behavioral therapy, you know, their lives progressively just can changing it better. Like no matter what is going on, you can always improve that Mm -hmm. mind frame and place in your life. And, you know, maybe you go to therapy and they say what you're going through is normal, you know, for your age. And this is how I would deal with it. And maybe it's not mental health related. 
But at the same time, everyone does have to pay attention to their mental mm-hmm. health, whether you. So I think that, you know, anyone going and checking in with a therapist, whether they're 27 for the first time or 40 or 18 is a good idea to just kind of assess your mind and feed it the help that you would feed the rest of your physical mm-hmm. body. So what would be the first step if someone's listening and they feel like their mental health just has been in a bad place recently? What would be their first step to do like after listening to this to help? So there's lots of different things you can do. Um, One of the things that comes to mind for me is there's an app called Ootify. It's O-O-T-I-F-Y and Oot means lift. And it's an app where you can go on there and you can download it and you can be matched with all types of professionals and mentors who have been through like the types of things that you might be referring crazy technological system this app just launched and where it connects you to the best possible person on the platform and it gives you like the diff and so you get like 15 minutes for free to be able to talk with Mm -hmm. this person and if you enjoy speaking with them you can continue to speak with them basically it's in a really easy and quick way to kind of get an idea and lead in the right direction just straight from your phone so that's one thing and that's not just mental illness like that's like if you got in a fight with your boyfriend and you just like don't have anyone Mm -hmm. to talk to or your parents are getting a divorce, or like maybe you're getting suicidal thoughts. Like that's, it's just a great place to be able to go to. Uh, you know, a lot of times that this therapy is leading and kind of coming over into the technological mm-hmm. world. There's a lot of Skype therapy now and that sort of thing. I mean, I don't do therapy, but I coach all virtually and I've people who are usually across the Mm -hmm. United States. So to do that, to kind of dip your feet in the water so that you don't have to go out and do anything publicly, you don't even have to tell anyone about it. You can just get on the app and start to get a better idea by talking Mm -hmm. to someone. What I would do from there is I would probably figure out a marriage and family therapist in your town. And if you think that you're dealing with something in particular, then I would want to make sure that, you know, for example, for OCD, you don't ever want to go see a marriage and family therapist until you know if they specialize in Mm -hmm. OCD. A lot of therapists are not trained in school how to do exposure response prevention. You want to make sure that you know, maybe you go to a psychologist before anyone and you get an assessment, but a lot of times a therapist would send you for an assessment. So there's lots of things that you can do. It's not super clear cut. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I lead people to the Udify app because I just started finding out about them this last year. And I would have done anything for an app like that back when yeah. I was sick instead of just having to trust, you know, and, and ask people who, what therapist they went to. And then here, my parents were asking people what, what therapist they, they went to for their, you know, their friend's mm-hmm. divorce. And then now I'm going to seek about OCD and it's just like something's not yeah. matching up. So I don't want to direct people to Google, but at the same time, there are so many resources on social media, hashtagging anything that's going on with you, like hashtagging depressive thoughts or hashtag tag taboo thoughts or something like that might lead you to a place where you find something I mean that's how a lot of people have found me they've told me is just hashtagging OCD and then they figure out my story and magical thinking which they never knew existed they just thought you know oh I don't have OCD because I don't clean things well they did they just had a different type of OCD but it can still be treated with exposure and response Mm -hmm. prevention I would always say to start with 
any sort of recommended therapist or psychologist in your town, but really doing your research first and looking up their psychology today profile and asking around town about them, kind of starting there so that you can talk to someone. Yeah, the first steps would be, yeah, those are great. Thank you. Yeah, because a lot of times, sometimes, you know, normally I would say the first thing you want to do is you want to just speak up to anyone willing to listen. But sometimes people like your family members don't, they might shoot you down. They might say, oh my gosh, you're fine. Yeah. Like you're 18 years old. Everyone's going through this. But at the same time, you know, maybe you have very understanding people around you that say, hey, like, why don't you, my sister went to this therapist, like, why don't you just try it? And then you kind of basically start somewhere and you get steered from there and you start to learn, okay, this is not a good fit for me. And so you call someone else, then you know, like the right questions to ask before you schedule a consultation mm -hmm. or something yeah. like that. Yeah, those are wonderful. And I'm sure if anyone is struggling listening, they will take those and it will help a lot. I was just going to clarify again that that app was called Udify. Um, and it's in the app store that that can be downloaded. And and I just, I don't know, I, I seriously am like obsessed with this app. And I'm not getting to say this, I promise. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes too so they can find it more easily. <laughs> okay, cool. Transition That's a little tiny bit. And we're going to talk about the process okay. of your book. So okay. you mentioned that you started it and that was kind of like almost the beginning of feeling better and for yourself. Yes. What has it been like going through so many revisions and going back and forth and just watching that like dream come to fruition? Um, It's not really like watching a dream come to fruition <laughs> because it's been mm -hmm. eight years. And I think that a lot of people are like, you said you're writing a book. Where is it? But I've said I've been writing it for years now. And that's not just because I'm a perfectionist, but because the mental health community has changed drastically in the past couple mm -hmm. of years. And I think, you know, I, when I did a recent interview on the mighty, they said, we kind of credit the obsessive outsiders almost as part of that. And I was like, what? Like just in the past couple of years that, that I could have helped contribute to mental health starting to trend mm -hmm. a little bit and it being okay for people to talk about. When I first started to write the book, it was just, like I said, a hobby. It was something that I wasn't really ever going to tell anyone. I just kind of wanted to have it in my tool belt. When I went to work in LA, I didn't touch it for two years because I didn't have a single solitary second mm -hmm. myself. When I left LA, which was now two years ago, I've been working on it ever since for like, for like a solid year. And then this last year, once the obsessive outsiders started the Instagram and the website and the blog and all this, the mental health community is actually so incredibly big. And I had no idea till I started doing the social media mm -hmm. side of it. And mm -hmm. I just started connecting with so many people who wanted to collaborate and work together and film together. And I think that I have like four different business partners at this point, because I am constantly doing certain projects with uh, all kinds of different people from retreats to YouTube channels where, that we film at USC, but just like really cool stuff. And so that's taken me away from the book a lot because I'm only one mm -hmm. person. I took probably six months off kind of from the book because I've just been building the obsessive outsiders because I wanted to take the opportunity while the interest was there. Once I did that, now I've been telling myself I am 
not putting anything else on my list until this book is published. So now that I'm going back through it for the final, final mm -hmm. time, I am starting to see so many things that have changed in the communities because it's just been moving so rapidly. I'm going to do it, give it myself this one last final edit, which I'm in the middle of right now. And then I'm just passing it on to an editor because I just can't spend, my parents are so done. <laughs> They're like, when you said you're writing a book, we kind of helped you out because you said you were writing a book and we don't see a book. And I'm like, yeah, but I have this Instagram and they're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. They're like, cool. How much money do you make? Uh -huh. you know? <laughs> I need to get that book out also for credibility because I, I am also running a coaching business. So I'm just excited to get it out so that people who I can't reach through coaching or through my website, I'll be able to get that book to them hopefully. And I'd like to do something like I'd like to go to Starbucks and like pass it out for free mm -hmm. even, or just do different things to get people just in the know. I don't necessarily just want people who have OCD to read it. I want it to be more of an awareness thing as well. So the process has been daunting. Mm -hmm. I feel like writing it was the easiest part. And then once it's gotten into the editing and publication part, it's been overwhelming because there's so many different options and companies to work with, money that you can spend on editing and things and trying to figure out I mean, I've reached out to hundreds of authors and tried to figure out, kind of make my own system of what's worked for everyone else. And sometimes I just get so much anxiety and overwhelmed that I'm like, screw this. And then I take a week and then I'm behind again. So I'm not going to get too down on myself. Yeah, well, we're cheering you on from the sidelines and we're excited for it to happen and we can't wait. Oh, <laughs> thanks, Serena. I really appreciate yes, that. Course. No one will be happier than me once oh, it's bet. done. <laughs> I will be so glad when I have that taken off my plate so that I can focus on a lot of the other projects that I have going on that I'm so excited mm -hmm. about. I consider you expert in mental health and OCD, you know, you were my local expert. <laughs> I'm not, an, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely have a lot of lived experience and have a lot of experience in institutions, mm -hmm. but I don't know if I'm an expert. <laughs> I'm happy to at least I do a lot of referrals mm -hmm. also, which is really good. So if something's above my head, or just I know someone needs a lot more help, I will never take on that sort of thing without referring mm -hmm. them out to an expert in that area. But I'm a good kind of landing platform to start mm -hmm. with. For sure. What would you say is one thing that we can do to improve our mental health? Probably for me and for many other people, it's very cliche, but self care. Mm -hmm. But when I say self care, I don't mean just going and getting a facial or going shopping. I mean, self care in a way that you would not normally naturally mm. think of. For example, let's say that you are just feeling very sluggish, down and out, like works, just work, school's just school. Like you just, you know, you haven't been dating, you just don't feel attractive, like whatever. What I would do in those types of situations, I would identify what area of your life it is that you want to improve. Like, for example, if you're mm -hmm. lonely, then I would do your self care would be like finding a local like women's group, or finding something like your podcast and the groups that you mm -hmm. put together or finding a new type of I always direct people to try a new type of workout like boxing or hot yoga if you just go to the gym and trying something new and just really invigorating and, and changing mm -hmm. things up. That's one thing that self care it's you really want to change things up to start to see a difference. And then you can start to identify what it is in your life that you're not happy with. That's just one thing that I recommend my self care is I usually can identify pretty quickly 
what I need to do. So my self-care when I'm overwhelmed is I go to home <laughs> or I go, I'm obsessed with interior mm-hmm. design. I'm always like adding on to my office space and my bedroom space and my glam room. And I, I just love doing that. So my self-care is truly just going to interior design stores or getting on Wayfair. Some people have self-care where it involves like essential oils and just taking the night off, making that conscious decision and really like shutting your brain mm-hmm. off for the night. And a lot of people I don't think have that ability to kind of just naturally turn off. Um, it's learned a lot of times. You just have to make it conscious. I'm working with my boyfriend on that right now because he doesn't have that button where the workday ends, you know, and so he's never, he's always exhausted and mm-hmm. overwhelmed because in, he doesn't take any time for self-care and he's just always catching up. And so, okay, like, let's try this. What about this? Why don't you make a conscious, de- instead of like us talking on the phone for an hour right now, like, why don't you go make a conscious decision that you're not going to work for the rest of the night or that you are pick one and stop being so indecisive. Cause a lot of times that indecisiveness is a huge issue when it comes to self-care and make the conscious decision that you're going to do something and then actually do it. Sign up for that workout class, sign up for that art class or whatever it is. That's the most immediate and personal thing that I would recommend. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. What would yours I be? think recently taking the time to play and doing things that I yes. enjoy for myself because totally. what you were saying um, having an off button and turning off when yeah. you wake up and you hop on social media and hop on Instagram and then go and you're talking to people, you're turned on. Like your mind is mentally like stimulated and you're constantly talking, going, going, listening, absorbing. Yeah. Taking Absolutely. the time to turn off and just be like, okay, like what can I do that I really enjoy? So it's fun yes. for me to go like to action sports and do indoor rock climbing. Just nice. Because, like yeah, I'm absolutely. not very good at it, but it puts me out of my comfort zone and it's playing, you know, you're trying to figure out how do I Love just get that. to the next step? <laughs> Charlie Hone, he talks about the importance mm-hmm. of play, but he talks about play mm-hmm. outside and the importance of getting outside and like getting a football. And Charlie's like a huge success, but he will take a Wednesday and he'll take a football outside with a friend and go to a park and just throw that and force him mm-hmm. to play. Go rock climbing, do things like you're doing. Just the mood changing, kind of transitional shift of mood is actually incredible. I didn't really get onto it at first until I started like making time for play myself, like play, there's no age limit, you know, you play, you always have to have time Mm -hmm. for play, especially with you, like you have so much going on, always having to be in like a good mood and being kind to people. So I would assume that you need your own, everyone deserves their own downtime. I sometimes take certain nights out of the week and it's they're Mm non-negotiable and it doesn't matter where I'm invited or what event it is it's like it's a non-negotiable like this is yeah and it's not selfish to do that and no not at all I don't know why people often think that self-care is selfish and that's always going on and trending in the mental health community is self-care isn't Mm -hmm. selfish because a natural tendency because people burn out or it's human Mm -hmm. nature and you have to recharge. Sometimes I need to just be left alone and not hear any voices for an hour. And I will be recharged if I just go off in my room and just do my own thing. 
And I sometimes have to, I don't mean to be rude, but I'll say like to my family and friends, I just Mm. need an hour to recharge. And they understand because I encourage them to do the same type of self-care. Yeah, that's so good. What is the biggest piece of advice you would give to our listeners? My biggest piece of advice would be step back and go up to 30,000 feet for a second. Look down at your life 12 months Mm -hmm. from now. I Once I did a meditation that was like this, you basically lay down and you just palms up, sprawled out, and you really envision your life 12 months from now and what you see in your life with no judgment, no limitations, no money issues. If you were able to just freely have whatever you wanted and be at the place in your career, what would you see? Like, where do you live? Like, do you live in Nashville? Do you live in Bakersfield? Do you do you do this? Like, what, what would your full-time job be? Like, do you have kids? And starting to like in step back and envision, that's something that I only recently started doing because for so long, I was just one school year after another. And I never really thought about what do I want to do with my life? Like that that was never something that crossed my mind. So then I finished school and it's like, okay, now what? And then I start write this book and then it's now what? And I never took the time to look 30,000 feet up and go, okay, what is the bigger picture here? Like this life is something that we get up and we go through every day, same routine, coffee, work, school, significant other, the bachelorette, bed, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's just, I've totally stopped that routine. I don't even watch TV anymore because I'm trying to change up my life to get towards those goals that I found only by looking Mm 30,000 feet above. Stop for a minute and like acknowledge your age in life, what you've accomplished and what you still have left that you want to accomplish. And then breaking down how you're going to get there in a timeline of of when. Mm -hmm. All all the things. I love that. Oh, good. So where can everybody find you if they want to connect with you? Maybe if they would be a good fit for your coaching services, or if they just want to follow you along on Instagram, where can everybody connect? So the first main place I would direct people is obviously the Instagram because so many people love Instagram, which is at the obsessive outsiders. Mm-hmm. And there's an S on the end of that. And then we also have a Facebook page. I have a private Facebook group called obsess less and live more, which is about it's like only about 400 people right now, but people who kind of go in there and it's a very private place to discuss some of these taboo Mm -hmm. issues. And then of course the uh, main like hub of everything is the website, uh, which is the obsessive outsiders.com. And that will lead you to all of the other branches of the business, Mm -hmm. to the YouTube channel, to all of the press that we've received, to the blog posts, to signing up for our newsletter, to downloading a free ebook. So that the assessaboutsiders.com is kind of the master hub of everything. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect, girl. Well, thank you so much for your time and just all of your wonderful answers today. You guys, I am so blessed and honored to have Carrie on the podcast like this. She gave real applicable tips that you can use if you're struggling with your mental health. I don't think it should be such a taboo subject. It's okay to talk about it. There are people here for you. If anything, you can use the app that Carrie was talking about. It's women like Carrie that speak up and share their experiences and share their voices that carve the path for everyone else. So if you have a story similar to Carrie's, would you be brave enough to stand up and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Is there anyone else? 
because it inspires so many people in that trail. Just look at Carrie's example. You guys, I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. If you resonated with Carrie's story, leave us a review on iTunes. It would help other women find this show. And we just want to have the biggest impact possible. I love you guys. And I will talk to you next Wednesday.